PE ratio is the price to earnings ratio. Um, so ultimately, whatever the company is bringing in in earnings versus the actual share price, that gives you your price to earnings ratio, right? Welcome back to Young Smart Money. My name's Apple Crater, and I'm your host. So today we're bringing on somebody who I've known for a long time, I've looked up to for a long time, we've worked together for a long time. His name is Marco of Whiteboard Finance. Okay, if you guys are familiar with the Whiteboard Finance YouTube channel, we're bringing on Marco today to share some of his knowledge on investing because I am somebody who is very passionate about investing. I started my YouTube channel way back when, uh, primarily on investing and teaching other young people how to get started investing. So it's a topic that is near and dear to me and something that I'm really, really passionate about. So I wanted to bring somebody on who's got a lot more experience in the field, um, working in both corporate settings and then starting his own business, teaching other people about about investing. So we're bringing Marco onto the show today. It's a party, okay? Marco is somebody who is very sharp, really knows his stuff when it comes to investing. So if you have any questions, concerns, we're, we're keeping this a very value-packed basics of investing crash course. So if you have any questions, any concerns, anything that you've ever been wondering about stocks, the stock market, how to actually invest your money and see it grow year over year over year so that when you get to retirement, you've got a large chunk of cash that you're sitting on, potentially in the millions of dollars. We're going to be talking about exactly how much money you need to be saving and investing to actually reach that million dollar mark and it's a lot less than you would expect, okay? So without further ado, we're gonna welcome Marco onto the show. So wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, if you're walking the dog, if you're out and about, just like sit back, relax, plug in, and enjoy this interview with Marco. And you guys are gonna get a lot, a lot of value pertaining to investing from this interview. You're gonna love it. So enjoy the interview. Marco, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mr. Kreider. How you doing, buddy? Nice to be on here. <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. So, Marco, for our audience that isn't super familiar with what you do and with whiteboard finance, can you give them a brief overview as to what you're currently up to right now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as Apple mentioned, my name is Marco Zladek. Uh, I actually am the creator and host of Whiteboard Finance. Uh, so I started a YouTube channel talking about pretty much personal finance, stock market investing, and real estate investing mixed in with a little bit of entrepreneurship, you know, ways to make money on the side, things like that. Um, so I started this channel about a year ago, and it's grown to about 15,000 subscribers at this point, which I'm really proud of. Yeah, um, I did take a little bit of a hiatus due to personal issues, but now I'm back and stronger than ever. So I'm looking forward to working with people like you and just spreading knowledge about you know, personal finance, stock market investing, and real estate investing. That's what's up. That's what's up. And that's exactly what we're going to be diving into today. So before we get into sort of like a, an investment crash course and really diving into the different kinds of investments that people can be making with their money, especially at a young age, um, I want to cover a little bit more on how you got interested in this space. Because a lot of people are not super prone to, to learning about investing and finance, and they'd rather just like maybe throw some money at their 401k and see what happens. But, but most people aren't getting into it at the level that you have gotten into it. So can you cover a little bit on, on what some of those influencing factors were maybe in your upbringing that, that brought you to the place where you're at now that this is really a passion for you? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So ultimately, the reason I got attracted to stocks at a young age, so I'm, I'm 31 now. Uh, I've been investing since I was 18. Uh, ultimately, the way my brain works is I'm kind of weird. My dad is an engineer. He's really good with his hands. He's good at designing things. So he's good at math. 
And my mom is good at, you know, business with numbers, accounting, things like that. So I'm kind of like this weird hybrid where I like to peel back layers of the onion, meaning I like to do research. I like to dig into things. Um, you know, I'm like OCD. I like to go down the rabbit hole on anything <laughs> I research, right? Um, so ultimately stocks and researching publicly traded companies were kind of a marriage between the two. So you do research and you also dig into the numbers and it was kind of like a natural fit for the way that my brain works. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. How did you how did you stumble upon stocks at the at the age of eighteen? Were your parents particularly influential on you, or was it just something that you kind of just like stumbled upon while you were like going down some rabbit hole? Yeah. So ultimately, no. My parents had no influence. My parents are Eastern European immigrants, so I'm first generation born in the states. Um, so I'm not some you know rich kid that was born <laughs> with a silver spoon that had a portfolio ready for him. You know what I mean? Um, so everything I've done, I've done on my own. Um, I think it was just a natural uh, passion. So to answer your question, um, I forgot the first stock I've ever invested in, but I think just knowing what rich people do, um, mm -hmm. I was always into entrepreneurship and I was always reading that, you know, rich people have several streams of income and a lot of them invested either in real estate, the stock market, they obviously had their own business because they're entrepreneurs. So I just naturally did what was easily available to me, which was investing in stocks. You know, you can, you can buy a stock for a penny, you can buy a stock for $100. Um, you know, it's a lot, it's a lower barrier entry than real estate, for example, as an 18 year old, if that makes sense. 100%. So did you get that startup capital from like working a side job or, or where did that come from at first? Yeah, so I've had a job since I was 15. I started at Angie's Pizza in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> so I was, uh, uh, when you get your temporary license at like 15 and a half, you know, mm -hmm. um, first I rode my bike there, then I started driving there. Uh, I was the bus boy, I was making pizzas, I was washing dishes, I was doing everything. Doing and this was about 16 years ago. Uh, I started off at 650 an hour and my oh, boss man. Ken was like, yeah, I'm going to start you off at 650 and all my friends were making like five bucks an hour. I thought I was like rich. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I started there. Um, always had a side hustle when I was younger, believe it or not. I sold like Pokemon cards. Oh. Like I just, I used to sell like bootleg mixtape CDs. Like I was the <laughs> first one you guys, uh, you and your audience may not remember like Kazaa and Napster and LimeWire and all that yep. stuff. I was downloading full CDs and selling them at lunchtime. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was all pirated. It was illegal, you know, yeah. whatever. But, um, you know, I was like 11, you know, I was 12, you know, this was like sixth <laughs> grade. So I've always been hustling, always been selling, but obviously that's not going to get you huge startup capital. It's just something, you know, to get you, get your feet wet. Mm -hmm. Um, ultimately, you know, when I started working, I started working at bars. I was a bartender. I worked uh, security. I'm 160 pounds soaking wet. I'm not going to bounce anyone, but you know, <laughs> it was a cash business and you take that cash and you know, it helps pay for food and you also put away a little bit to invest. So that's, that was kind of my startup capital. Hmm. So how, how much money do you think the average like 18 year old actually needs to get started investing in, in say the stock market? So there's, I guess there's two parts to that question. I guess part of me says just start with anything. Mm -hmm. That way you start seeing how your money actually does uh, based on the stock's performance. So you, know, you can start with a hundred bucks. It's not gonna really move the needle in your wealth or your no. net worth. Um, but it helps educate you. Think of it like paying for an education, right? Um, what I would recommend is uh, for your audience, if they have no experience, I would start a paper account or a test account, you know, like mm -hmm. on Yahoo Finance, right? You don't have to necessarily be invested in those stocks, but I would track certain stocks that you're interested in for at least six months just to see what you would have done if you would have invested actual money. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can kind of get your you know, feet wet from there. But if you start with a small amount, you know, you got to remember Apple and so does your audience. This is just speaking from experience. 
investing is only what you can afford to lose. You know, we're not out here gambling. You know, if you need to feed your kids or, you know, whatever, you know, you know probably your audience doesn't have kids <laughs> at that point. But, you know, if you need to put food on the table or you need to, you know, be uh, financially supportive of someone or something else, yeah. uh, you know, you can't just be throwing money at, you know, penny stocks hoping to get rich, you know. Mm. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And there really is a huge distinction there between, in my opinion, what I heard you saying was investing and trading. So can you really break down sort of the difference between these two things and what you see as, as the separators there? Absolutely. So I'm an, I consider myself an investor. I'm a long-term investor. Um, whatever I buy, I'm going to be holding for the long haul just because I've dug into the fundamentals. I believe in the company. I understand the business and I know the, um, the management team. Obviously not personally, but just yeah. from what I'm reading online. Um, so the stocks that I'm investing in, I'm, I'm confident that these companies will do well over a longer period of time. So the, to me, that's investing. Um, trading is more something where it's like, you know, anywhere from a day to, you know, six months is, I guess, considered a swing trade. So it, you can take advantage of cycles in the market. You can take advantage of stuff that's going on in the news and, you know, be a successful trader. But to me, I just don't have time for that. That, that, that takes a lot of research, a lot of um, dedication, and you always have to have your finger on the pulse of not only the markets, but also politics, the economy, you know, the global economy, all that stuff. So to me, it's easier just to find a nice fundamental uh, stock that I'm um, fundamentally believe in that will do well over the long term and just kind, kind of ride it from there. 100%, 100%. Now, what I want to do here is go a little bit more basic for our listeners that might not even be familiar with exactly how the stock market works. I want to break down some of the fundamentals that go into it so that our listeners who might be wanting to learn more and get that basic understanding can really understand how it, how it works to begin with. So the first thing that I want to ask you is like, when you mentioned understanding uh, that the company fundamentals and really understanding and having confidence in that stock's ability to go up over time, uh, I think there's a lot of questions that, that would stem from that from somebody who doesn't have any experience investing. So the first of which is like, what even, what is a stock? Like why, what is a stock and why would it go up in value over time? Yep. So stock, very simply put in layman's terms, it's just a share or a slice of a company. So picture of pizza, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole pizza is the company. Um, when it becomes publicly traded, the company is giving up shares or equity of their business um, to essentially raise capital. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, I have this pizza, Apple uh, wants to buy a, it's funny saying Apple and pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Apple wants to buy a slice of the pizza, you know, he has to pay for a slice of that pizza. If the pizza grows over time, aka the business is doing well, your slice gets bigger because it's proportional, right? Mm -hmm. You own X amount of slices. So as soon as the slices get bigger, your net worth increases or the price of the stock increases. Mm -hmm. um, so just think of it as a slice of equity of a publicly traded company. Okay. And a big misconception that I hear a lot out there from beginning investors is they tend to think that as the, the stock becomes more valuable, the company is actually making more money from their share. So could you kind of explain really quickly why that isn't the case? Um, so I'm sorry, uh, we may have to edit this one out. I didn't understand what the question, sorry. Um, oh, no, sorry. Like, so my, my question was, uh, a lot of people, a lot of beginning investors might think that when a stock price goes up, that that company is actually making more money from their stock when in reality, this isn't actually the case. And, and when a stock price goes up, that company isn't actually making more money from their shares of stock. So can you kind of explain why the company isn't benefiting uh, directly from their share prices increasing? 
Yeah, so essentially the market cap, meaning the market capitalization, it's a market cap is very simply the, sh the shares outstanding. So meaning how many slices of pizza are out there times the value of each slice of pizza, right? So mm -hmm. if the stock has, you know, I'm doing math live here, but if you have 10 <laughs> slices of pizza and each slice is worth 10 bucks, you know, that company's market cap is $100, 10 times 10, right? Mm -hmm. um, so to answer your question, um, a lot of times shareholders, they don't want a lot of slices of pizza or a lot of shares out in the marketplace just because it dilutes the value of their shares. Mm. So the company, you know, to, to your point, um, it may be gaining more value on paper, but it doesn't necessarily benefit the company um, directly on the financial statements. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because like the shares can become more valuable, but that money isn't going directly back into the company's pocket. That's going into the pocket of the shareholders who now hold something that has become more valuable over time. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the, the, the next thing that I sort of want to cover is, is how do, how do companies go public? What is, what is the process behind that? And, and why would a company choose to sell off shares of their company to other people like you and me who, who aren't like big investors? Yeah. So, um, that's above my pay grade on how they go public. So <laughs> you'd go to an investment bank, right? Sure. An investment bank does all that. You have lawyers, you have investment bankers, they take a company and they create an IPO. It's an initial public offering, right? Mm -hmm. That's when a company first becomes public. Um, so that's like your Goldman Sachs of the world, your bank corps of the world. These are your big investment banks in uh, New York, for example. Right. So that's how a company goes um, public or uh, offers an IPO. Um, the second part of your question is, you know, why do they do it? It's mm -hmm. to raise, it's simply to raise capital, to raise equity. So say, for example, you have an Uber, right? Mm -hmm. Uber has proven their business model. I mean, I don't even know if they're profitable yet, but I'm just using them as an example yeah. because at the time of this recording, they're about to go public soon. Mm -hmm. um, so Uber says, hey, I got this business model. It's proven, you know, people like it. However, in order to really leverage and scale and grow the business, I'm going to make my company public. I'm going to offer it to Apple and Marco to infuse my company with capital. That way I have more money to work with to scale my business and make it even more profitable. Okay, perfect. And, and yeah, so, so you can do that before going public by offering uh, slices of your company to like venture capitalists, but, but to, to really get that huge like boost of momentum, uh, I feel like an IPO, that's generally why people go for that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. At least from my experience, but you're correct. There are VCs out there, venture capitalists that are kind of the people that, you know, um, start the company's initial momentum. That way you can hire uh, developers, you can hire programmers, you can hire research and development, marketing, sales, you know, to build your team. And then once you've proven that business model out, obviously those VCs are uh, compensated very well if they're yeah. successful, but that's, you know, five out of a hundred companies, you know, ever blow up like that. You know, there's not that many Facebooks and Twitters and Ubers out there. A hundred percent. So can you talk pretty basically on what you are looking for when you are looking at a company to potentially invest in? And what are some of those like fundamental things you mentioned, like their management team and whether you think the company has potential to grow over time, but like, what are some of like the higher level things that you look at when you're deciding whether or not a company makes sense for you personally to invest in? Yeah, so absolutely. So I think first, especially for your audience, uh, they, need to, they need to speak the language of finance. So they need to become financially uh, literate, meaning that they need to understand the ratios that are actually being discussed when you go on Yahoo Finance and see like PE ratio, debt to income, you know, all that stuff. 
Um, so what I look for personally is I'd like to consider myself somewhat of a value investor. So what I look for is a good PE ratio. Um, so I'd like to consider myself somewhat of a value investor. So PE ratio is the price to earnings ratio. Um, so ultimately, whatever the company is bringing in in earnings versus the actual share price, that gives you your price to earnings ratio, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's low, that typically that's a first indicator that a company is undervalued at the moment. So if you look at all these big tech stocks, their PE ratios are through the roof. Like if yeah. you look at like Amazon and you know Twitter and all that, um, just because ultimately they're not bringing in a lot of money, but their share price is high, right? Mm. But if you look at, um, I don't know, consumer staples like Johnson & Johnson, you know, General Mills, those kinds of uh, companies, their PE ratio is typically a little bit lower because they have a proven business model where they're bringing in a lot of revenue and mm. their share price may not be that high depending on when you're looking at it. Uh, so that's one of the pillars. Uh, the other ones that I mentioned earlier is that I look for a strong management team. Uh, I believe that the jockey is more important than the horse, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Uh, so it's the team behind it. So that's why Google, they always acquire these small companies like uh, when Waze, uh, I'm sure everyone uses the Waze app, right? Mm -hmm. They acquire companies like that because those companies have a good team. So a lot of those times, those acquisitions are what we call aqua hires. So mm. you're acquiring the company to hire those people, essentially. You're not necessarily buying the company because you believe in the technology, um, even though Waze is probably not the best example because that was a great um, app and I, yeah. I use it daily. Um, but they acquired Waze because they had a great team behind it. <clears throat> so management is important. And then uh, finally, I just like to look at what cycle of the market we're in. Um, so it depends. Like if it, it depends on if you're investing in like a REIT, like a real estate investment trust. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, real estate goes in eight to 10 year cycles. Yeah. It may not make sense uh, to buy at the highest point of a cycle, kind of like where we're at right now. Mm. Um, but if you're buying at the lowest point of the cycle, hey, maybe I'll pick up a REIT at the bottom when it's at the... Um, the valley, if you're looking at a graph, you have peaks and valleys, right? Mm -hmm. And I know this is an audio podcast, so you're listening to <laughs> what I'm doing with my hand. Um, but if you buy in the valley, you know over the next cycle that it's going to raise over, you know, eight to 10 years. So just little things like that. Mm. And that's a really interesting point you just hit on. And one of the like staple investing philosophies is like buy low, sell high. So can you talk a little bit about, I, I know there's kind of a misconception here that uh, sort of the phrase timing the market versus time in the market and how yeah. a lot of people will try to wait until things hit rock bottom to start investing when in reality they might miss out on some really good opportunities. So can you talk a little bit about how to decide when to start investing, when it makes sense to maybe wait it out and, and what your sort of thoughts are regarding trying to figure out when things are at the exact bottom? Yep, that's a very good question. And this is a good nugget um, for your listeners. So I'm going to butcher this proverb, but I think it's like a Japanese proverb that says, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today, you know, mm -hmm. right now. Um, so to answer your question about when is the best time to get started in investing, uh, it's definitely right now. You know, right now, I will say the market is at, you know, pretty much an all time high. And we've been in a, uh, a bull market for about nine and a half years now. However, um, with the age of your audience, your demographic, if they just stay in the market for 40, 50, 60 years um, and they get an average rate of return of about 7% and they put in, let's just call it five, six grand a year, mm -hmm. they will be millionaires at 65. That's guaranteed. That's just go do the math, go on any um, compound interest calculator. Um, so ultimately, start early, start young. 
don't be a fool with your money. Sometimes it's better just to invest in something that's a little bit more conservative and be patient. Um, I would say that if they want to build a strong financial foundation, your audience should absolutely max out their Roth IRA. So a Roth <laughs> IRA just very quickly is just a after-tax dollar investment um, retirement account. Okay, so say you're making 40 grand, you just graduated college, you know, you're happy to get a job. All you got to do is budget 500 bucks a month, six grand, put that in the bank, or excuse me, put that in your uh, brokerage in a Roth IRA, you will be a millionaire at 65 if you average, you know, 7%, which pretty much, you know, the markets have averaged over the past, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Okay, that is like mind blowing to like anybody to hear. And the first time that I found this out, that I could become a millionaire by just putting away 5000 or $5,500 a year or like $15 a day, like my mind was completely blown. So can we dive a little bit deeper into this to our listeners who might not totally understand what you just said? Because that, that's a lot to unpack, the fact that you could become a millionaire off of average returns by just maxing out your Roth IRA. So first yep. of all, could you talk a little bit deeper? I mean, you said it was a brokerage account with after-tax money. So what, is, what does that mean, like after-tax money? Okay, so after-tax money, if anyone here has earned a paycheck, not <laughs> under the table, I'm not, I'm not talking bartending <laughs> or valet, you know, I'm not talking cash. So if you look at your paycheck, you know that you're supposed to make, let's call it a thousand bucks a week, right? Mm -hmm. I'm making $52,000 a year. I know I'm supposed to make a thousand dollars a week, right? Sure. But your paycheck never is a thousand dollars a week, mm -hmm. right? Why is that? because you have uh, certain withholdings. You have social security, uh, medical, um, you know, state, federal, whatever. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you have a gross salary, which is that $52,000 a year. You have a net income, which is what you literally take home. Mm. So that paycheck is saying like, let's call it 700 bucks. When you're thinking, hey, I'm supposed to get a $1,000 paycheck, you're getting $700. That is your after-tax money. Now what you do with that after-tax money that you actually have in your possession, mm -hmm. that is when you can invest into either a Roth 401k or a Roth IRA, right? Mm -hmm. So this, is, this money has already been taxed, okay? So the difference between a 401k and a Roth IRA is that a 401k later on in life when you do become 65 years old, you're typically going to uh, earn more income as you get older and you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. So you may have a million dollars in your 401k. However, you still need to pay taxes on that when you take it out. Mm. A Roth IRA, whatever money is in there and whatever it's grown to, let's just call it a million bucks, that million dollars is your money. There's no more tax coming out of that because you've already paid the tax on those dollars. But it's, wow. it's, it's a beautiful concept because um, ultimately your money is growing tax deferred. So yeah, mm. you're, let's, call, let's say your audience is you know, 21 years old. They got their first full-time job. That money, that after-tax money, is growing on top of itself for all those 44 years if they retire at uh, 65, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And, and other than like under-the-table transactions, there's not many ways for you to make significant money without the government wanting to take a, a share of it. So right. I think that's really important to look at a Roth IRA in particular as a place to invest your money. And I know personally, I've been maxing out my Roth IRA since I was 19 or no, That's since awesome. I was 18, uh, because it's just such a powerful way to invest. And could you cover a little bit more on that 7% number that you mentioned earlier? Because you said average return 7% could get you to millionaire status by the time you retire. What, what is that 7% coming from? And, and how would, how would somebody achieve a 
somewhere around a 7% return? Yep, that's a very good question. So ultimately, um, we've been in a bull market for about nine and a half years now to where the returns have been excellent. I think they've been somewhere in like the 30% range, something crazy, right? And bull market just means stock prices going up. Exactly, yeah. So sorry for the jargon. So bull no market, picture a bull's horns going up. Bear market, picture a bear's claw going down. Okay, mm. that means the market's going down, right? It's an easy way to remember it. Um, so to, that 7% that I mentioned is essentially your return on your investment, right? So um, what I personally have in my Roth IRA is I have a Vanguard, uh, it's a target fund. Okay. So the Vanguard target fund, it's a 2055 target fund. So this knows that I'm going to retire right around 2055. Mm -hmm. um, hypothetically, I hope to retire a lot sooner than that. <laughs> but ultimately, you're supposed to pick a target date where you're going to be 65 years old, right? Mm -hmm. So your audience uh, members that are listening to this, do the math, figure out, you know, when you're going to be 65, that year should be the target fund that you should invest in. The reason I recommend target funds, um, because they are essentially inherently risky as you're younger, Mm -hmm. And they become less risky as you get older. Mm -hmm. It's just an act, it's a fund that's passively or actively managed that just um, their, your risk tolerance changes as you get older. So think about it. When you're young and, and you're in all these stocks, say you're 90% stocks, 10% bonds, stocks are more inherently risky than bonds, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're young, you can afford to have losses and take risks and all yeah. that because you have time to make it up, right? You don't have to so, sell tomorrow and get that right. money to exactly. your, your rent or whatever. Exactly. Um, but when you're 65 and you're about to retire, do you want to be in 90% stocks in a very risky portfolio? Obviously not. You want to be more bond heavy because those, have, um, those are more um, sure uh, returns, if you will. Yeah. So ultimately, um, the nice thing is, is because it's just set it and forget it. I literally yeah. max out my Roth IRA every year. So it just bumped up to $6,000 for 2019. So up until then, I've been putting in 5,500, 5,500, 5,500. Now I'm putting in six mm -hmm. and I hope to max it out, you know, obviously for the rest of my life. And then at age 59 and a half, you have access to those funds without a penalty. The other nice thing about a Roth IRA is that you can take out whatever you've put in because mm. it's after tax dollars. That's your money. So say, for example, I put in 20 grand, it's grown to 30. I, I can leave that 10 that I've made, but I can still pull out my 20, if that makes sense. I don't recommend doing that because you're going to hurt your compounding interest. Yeah. You're working off a smaller principal, um, but it's nice in case you get into a jam or you want to put a down payment on a house or whatever you know, you still have that money that you've already put in because it's after tax dollars. A hundred percent. So it's not like locked away forever. You don't have to wait until you're, like you said, 59 and a half to access that initial money that you put in there. But again, uh, unless it's a really big emergency, I would highly, highly, highly discourage you from ever touching that money because it's Correct. really going to slow down your growth. And like you said, if you've got 20 grand that's grown to 30 grand, you take out that initial 20, you're starting back at 10 and it's going to take you a long time to recover back to that 30 point. So correct. Totally, totally with you on that. Yeah. I recommend anyone that's listening to this to Google bank rate, one word, bank rate, uh, Roth IRA calculator. Mm. And then you can just have a field day just play around with it for you know, <laughs> 10, 15 minutes. You'll see the potential of compound interest. So yeah, there's so much like it, it was wild. The first time that I found a compound interest calculator and just started like messing around and figuring out like how much money I could realistically achieve by just putting away like $5,500 or $6,000 a year in a Roth IRA, it's mind blowing. Like you, you max that thing out, you get like 7% returns, you leave it there for like 45 years and you're somewhere around like one and a half, $2 million. 
Like yeah. that's just, it, it's bananas to think about. And, and <laughs> it just, it, it's so wild. It's so wild. I because, think uh, Albert Einstein, sorry to interrupt. I thought yeah, Albert no. Einstein, I think Albert Einstein said compound interest is like the seventh wonder of the world yeah. or something like that. <laughs> it totally but, is. Yeah, it's very interesting. But um, yeah, highly recommend just to get a good pillar, a good foundation of you know fin- finance for your listeners, you know, mm-hmm. max out that Roth IRA, you guys. All right. And you said your Roth IRA is with Vanguard. So can you talk a little bit about like how to actually open one? What kind of company you run one of these with? Can you go to like your, your standard like US bank and open up one? Or do you have to go to like a special kind of business? Yep. So there's, so any, any brokerage I believe can technically um, hold or create a Roth IRA. The reason I went with Vanguard, keep in mind, I started this when I was like 18. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Vanguard because they're like, they're one of the biggest boys in the block, right? Um, Jack Bogle, you know, rest in peace. He just passed away, I believe last month. Mm -hmm. Um, He's the person who essentially created the ETF, the exchange traded fund. So the reason I went with Vanguard is just because they're a big player. They've been around forever. Um, I believed in Jack Bogle because he made it easy for the regular person like me Mm -hmm. and you um, to actually build financial wealth through um, exchange traded funds and also just through investing period. He made it easy for the little guy to get in the game. Um, So that's why I went with Vanguard. Um, The process is very simple. Um, You ultimately have to fill out, you know, who you are, your social security, all that good stuff. They'll send you either a packet in the mail or you can do it online. Mm -hmm. Um, And then ultimately they want to verify that you're actually Apple. I'm actually Marco, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, you need to actually link that. Um, I believe you may have to prove that you're employed or you have some, uh, you know, legal taxable funds coming in. You can't just be like a drug dealer putting in a year. Um, and the, the process sounds harder than it is. I'm probably making it sound harder than it is. It's super simple. You guys, yeah. um, you know, take, take, you know, literally an hour, do it, do it right. And your, your 65 year old self will thank you for it. hundred percent. And do you personally, I personally don't think it matters all that much who you choose to open one with. I know mine is with fidelity. Um, yep. but do you, do you think there's really a big difference between one, one Roth IRA and the next? No, because you control the investments that are in your Roth IRA. Mm. You can you can buy, you know, Apple stock. You can buy Microsoft stock. You can buy exchange traded funds. Pretty much anything that's a publicly traded asset can be put into your Roth IRA. So any publicly traded stock, you can put that into your Roth. Would I recommend that? No, because that's very risky. You're investing mm. in one company, right? That's why I recommended that Target um, date fund because mm. it's, it has a basket of stocks and it's always changing its risk profile depending on your age. 100%. And, and a misconception that I get hit with a lot is, is a lot of people think that a Roth IRA is an actual investment vehicle. And then like you invest your money into a Roth IRA and that's going to inherently make it grow over time. Uh, when in reality, like it's just a, it's, it's an account. It's an account Correct. that you open, you put money in there. And then from that money, you can invest into these different kinds of assets. So I think it's an important thing, an important distinction to make for, for listeners that aren't super familiar with the idea of even like a brokerage account. It's just like a bank account, except you put the money in there and then you can invest it into these different um, assets. <laughs> yeah, investments. Yeah, 100%. And I, I made a video about that as well. And I got a lot of comments that says, you know, oh, how do I invest into a Roth IRA? I think I did a bad job of communicating that, you know, the Roth IRA is just the vehicle, yeah. right? It depends on what you put in the trunk, right? If you go to Costco, you drive to the <laughs> Costco with your car, and then it depends on what you buy at Costco is in the Roth IRA. Mm, 100%. Um, so that's kind of like my analogy on how to think of it. It's just the vehicle. It's a yeah. tax deferred or tax sheltered vehicle. 
So one thing you mentioned when you were talking about Vanguard is ETFs and the idea of exchange traded funds. And those are something that I invest very heavily in, both in my Roth IRA and in a brokerage account. So can you talk a little bit about what an ETF is and why that's something that, that is helpful to like the everyday investor? Yeah, so an ETF, as I mentioned earlier, it just stands for Exchange Traded Fund. Uh, I've done a couple of videos on them on my channel. So if you guys want to check that out, just Whiteboard Finance. I'll link um, that up in the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, so ultimately, think of an exchange traded fund as something that you can trade like a stock. So just like you can buy a share of Ford, a share of Apple, a share of whatever, um, you can buy a share of an ETF. However, within that ETF is a basket of stocks. So think of literally like a basket. It's got a bunch of stocks in it, and it's supposed to track a certain index, a certain exchange, a certain profile, a certain commodity, pretty much whatever you can think of, there's an ETF for it, right? Um, so ultimately, the reason why um, I invest in those as well, and I recommend your audience to invest in ETFs, is because it takes, it, first of all, it gives you huge diversity, right? You're not just investing in a share of Apple. If Apple goes bankrupt tomorrow, you know, you're out of luck, dude. There goes your basket. There goes your nest egg. All your eggs are broken, right? Mm -hmm. um, however, if you buy an ETF, say call it, you know, a technology ETF, you may own a little bit of Apple, a little bit of, you know, whatever, Twitter, a little bit sure. of Google, a little bit of, you know, whatever, any tech companies. Mm -hmm. um, but you're getting a lot of exposure to a lot of different companies. So their performance, you know, if, if uh, Google crushes it and Apple's having a terrible year on the stock price, they kind of balance each other out and they just mm -hmm. essentially seem to go up over time in a more safe, uh, risk averse manner. Mm. Exactly. Because over time, the stock market does tend to trend upwards. And if you're able to get that wide exposure across a bunch of different companies, then you can um, more safely see that overall growth in your portfolio and not be so dependent on one certain company to really perform in order to make your portfolio grow over time. So uh, going off of that, I think that also brings up a pretty important distinction between, like we are talking about before, investing and, and, and trading, and really why with investing, it makes a lot more sense to diversify where where your different investments are, because if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, like you said, it, it can be really easy for that basket to not do so hot and really to, to have a detrimental effect on your portfolio. So can you mention a couple of your best strategies for diversifying? I know you mentioned target date funds and ETFs, but are there any other strategies that you have to make sure that your portfolio is not too focused in one certain sector, one certain company, or, or how do you manage that? Yeah, so I think the easiest visual representation of understanding different sectors is to go onto a website called Finviz, F-I-N-V-I-Z.com. It's pretty much short for financial vision. Um, what it does is it, break down, it breaks down the stock market in all the different sectors that are out there, right? So you have financials, you have healthcare, you have consumer staples, you have, you know, whatever. Um, and it helps get you, give you an idea of what certain stocks are doing within those sectors. So to answer your question, how do I stay diversified, is that I make sure my portfolio is not too heavy in any one sector, right? So like if you look at like the tech bubble of, of the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, people, those tech companies, everyone thought they're going to the moon. It was like a Bitcoin, right? It was like yeah. a hockey stick, right? Um, and then people, they lost their butts on a lot of those stocks, right? However, if you had a healthy, diversified portfolio, yeah, your tech stocks may have gone down in 2001 or early 2000, but maybe your consumer staples went up as well, right? Mm. And you kind of get that 
um, it can, the consumer staples kind of absorb the hit of the tech stocks, right? Mm. So to, that's a long-winded way of just telling your audience, be well diversified in many sectors and your portfolio should be okay um, because the stocks that do well, they absorb the hit of the stocks that don't do so well. A hundred percent. And you got to make sure that you're getting that balancing factor uh, going on in your portfolio. So Marco, one thing you just mentioned was Bitcoin. And, and I think it's important as well for our younger listeners to hear about like chasing trends and, and how that really does work out. So have you spent any time like chasing trends or do you mostly just focus on those fundamentals of a company that's going to allow them to grow over time? So that's a very good question. Um, everyone, especially at a younger age, late teens, early twenties, they want to chase the allure of, you know, beautiful blondes, you know, uh, convertible <laughs> Ferraris, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Wolf of Wall Street type stuff, right? Oh, yeah. So when I was in college, you know, I, I almost started getting into trading Forex. I downloaded really? this, which is, you know, just foreign, you know, a currency. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so I downloaded the software, you know, I was ready to go. I'm, I'm following, you know, every BIP or, you know, basis point, all that stuff. <laughs> And I, I took a step back and I said, dude, what are you doing? Like, you don't understand this stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? Like <laughs> currency can be manipulated by governments, you know, political factors. There's a million things that are out of control for the little guy, right? Yeah. Um, so I just took a step back. I, I realized that, hey, you know, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm. Okay. Um, so to answer your question, no, I don't necessarily chase trends. However, I wish I chased Bitcoin. Uh, I was working <laughs> for a tech company in uh, 2012. Right. Yeah. And this is when Bitcoin started to make its initial rise to like yeah. a thousand bucks. Right. Yeah. This is like 2012, 2013. And I was thinking to myself, I'm, I'm like, dude, this sounds like a scam. Like Bitcoin, <laughs> what the hell is this? Going back to my original point in this podcast that I don't invest in companies or things that I don't understand. Mm. Right. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to understand Satoshi Nakamoto and, you know, yeah. all, all these <laughs> you know, all these technical terms, you know, and all that stuff. I'm not giving myself enough credit. I do understand a lot of it, but yeah, I'm nowhere, sure. Yeah. But nowhere near to where I would invest in it. Right. Mm. So, however, if, as I get older, now that I'm older and I've seen some market cycles, you know, I've actually lived through a crash and all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's important to understand and to recognize when you're in a trend, because when your mother-in-law starts talking about Bitcoin, that's when you know <laughs> to get the hell out, right? Yep. So that's when you know the gig is up, okay? Um, so I guess the, the nugget or the piece of value here for your listeners is that understand that you're in a trend, make a little bit of money and get the hell out, because that mm -hmm. is not a long-term strategy, in my opinion. A hundred percent. So, so a, a while ago, you mentioned the, the sort of bull market trend that we're in right now. Are you doing anything to actively prepare for when that might end? Or are you really just going about it business casual and, and really knowing that, that the market does behave in cycles? Or is there anything that you think that the average investor should be doing since we have been in a bull market for close to 10 years now? Cash is king, baby. <laughs> cash is king right now. I'm serious. Yeah. Cash is king because guess what? Everything is quote unquote going to be on sale. Um, if you guys remember, um, you know, 2008, 2009, it was mm. blood in the streets, dude. I graduated in December of 2010. Mm. Uh, dude, unemployment was like 11%. Real estate was, you know, half off. It was yeah. insanity. A lot of people made a lot of money 10 years ago. Um, so cash is king. Stay on the sidelines. Cash is king. And when you start to actually see the deals and you, you know a stock is on sale, that's when you um, pounce and that's mm. when you break. 100%, 100%. And just knowing that, that it is, it's all cyclical. Like things go up, things go down. 
and you got you to gotta know when something's on sale so you can take advantage of that opportunity because there's so many opportunities around you, but if you don't have your eyes open, if you don't know what you're looking for, it's so easy to just pass those by. And like you said, when there is blood in the streets, so many people are just running around like a chicken with their head cut off when, when in reality, the people who knew what they were looking for from the get are, are getting in there and, and finding some really, really nice deals. So yeah. it's important to know what you're looking for. Yep. And sorry to cut you off just very quickly. I would advise your uh, audience to go back on any you know, platform, uh, Google Finance, Yahoo Finance, whatever, anywhere where they can get a chart that's mm-hmm. you know, 20, 30 years old. Um, so look at like what happened in all these bubbles. So if you go back to uh, early 2000s with the tech bubble, you'll see you know, a little bit of a you know, dip, whatever, and then things start to go back up. Mm-hmm. And it explodes back up to like 07 yep. and then see what happened. <laughs> Every single stock was on sale for 40, 50% after 08. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you follow the, any, I'm talking about any reputable company yeah. that's uh, a, a Fortune 500 company, S&P 500 company, mm-hmm. um, and see what they did over the next 10 years, you mm-hmm. know, and people made 30, 40, 50, 60%. And that's a relatively safe investment. Um, so yeah, investing and getting started early is great, but you also have to recognize when there's an opportunity. I think uh, we're going to see a pullback of at least, you know, five to 10% um, throughout 2019, most likely quarter four. uh, Mm -hmm. And then 2020, um, I think, you know, that's when we'll start to see better buying opportunities, in my opinion. Hmm. Very interesting. All right, we'll have to stay tuned for that. Have there been any really books that have been very influential for you? Because a lot of people, they, they might hear this podcast, they might be ready to go, they might be wanting to learn more about investing. So do you have any book recommendations or any resources that you would turn people to at first to, to get that solid understanding of, uh, of stocks in the stock market? Yep. So to get away from the technical, you know, I have a finance degree, right? Yeah. No one wants to <laughs> study and get a finance degree if they've already went to school or they don't have time, right? <laughs> so a very easy read that'll help you understand the market and investing as a whole mm-hmm. is, I believe, One Up on Wall Street mm. by Peter Lynch. Um, so I highly recommend that. It talks about how his wife, you know, recognizes you know, pantyhose um, being sold off the shelves and he understands the company that makes those pantyhoses uh, or is that even plural? Pantyhoses? <laughs> pantyhoses. <laughs> yeah, who knows? That makes those and guess what? That stock went up. It's a, very, it's a very simple read, but it helps you understand investing from a very high level perspective. Hmm, perfect. I'll be sure to link that up in, in the show notes as well. Marco, I've got some questions that I'd like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up. Are you ready to hop into those? Absolutely. All right, perfect. And you've been dropping value bomb after value bomb so far. So I'm excited to get into these um, and share our listeners some, some valuable insights from, from the man Marco himself. So the first of which is what are you excited about right now? So this could be something in, in the financial world, financial markets, or just something, something in your life in general. So I don't know if I'm excited or scared, but I'm really <laughs> interested to see what cryptocurrency um, is going to do and also blockchain mm. as well. I think blockchain will be as ubiquitous as email is today uh, within the next five years. Wow. So um, I think all, you know, any records, land records, county records, mm. you know, real estate records, accounting, all that stuff, that's all going to be in the blockchain. Um, because of how the, that ledger system works. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say I'm some expert on it, but I'm really interested to see what crypto and blockchain is going to do over the next five years. Mm, I've got a close eye on that as well. And I actually just went through a course on on blockchain and crypto. So uh, I definitely want to bring somebody on the show who has a, a, a deep understanding of that topic because it's something that, again, that I'm very interested in and seeing those use cases, like you mentioned, um, there's definitely a lot, a lot of potential 
for blockchain to do some serious things in in the world at large. So totally, totally with you on that. The next thing I want to ask you about is your habits. So do you have anything that you do on a routinely ba- on a routine basis that, that really serves you and helps you um, move to places you want to get to? Again, whether that's financial, business, lifestyle, uh, anything that you do on a routine basis. Yep. So I'd say just from outside of a lifestyle standpoint, so I'm not talking about going to the gym, waking sure. up early, you know, eating healthy. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Uh, it's a to-do list. Mm. Make a to-do list the night before you have to do something, right? Mm. So you understand what your plan is for the next day. That helps eliminate and cut the fat out of so much of people's days where they kind of just sit on the couch and they get their day started at 10.45 a.m. Mm. Do it the day before. Just take literally 10 minutes before you go to bed, make a to-do list of your highest priority things, and that way you know what you need to get done the next day. And that's how you keep uh, moving the ball forward. Mm. 100%. 100%. I like that. I like that night before strategy because yeah, if you if you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, what do I want to do today? And you just like sit around for a while thinking about it. But but if you set out those things the night before and you know exactly what you want to execute on that day, it's so much easier to just like get in your rhythm, get going and, and really start attacking the things that are going to move the ball forward for you. So I think it's Absolutely. really cool. Yep. That's something that I started doing pretty recently is, is just like night before, write out top three things that I want to get done the next day and just like check them off the list as soon as I can. Yep. And I think it becomes subconscious when you write it down. Your brain is like, oh, I got to get this done, you know? Yeah, so, yeah it really helps. So if, I, you if you don't have a to-do list, you guys, please uh, make one. It'll make your life a lot more efficient. 100%. And if you want to learn more about to-do lists, there's this book. Uh, I think it's called Checklist Manifesto. Um, that, that's really, really solid on, on how to start establishing effective to-do lists. So cool. I highly recommend checking that out. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, next thing I want to ask you about is the, the content that you're consuming. So I know you were a content creator on YouTube. Is there any content together, whether that's books, blogs, podcasts, other YouTube channels that you are actively consuming and getting some value out of right now? Yeah. Um, Apple Kreider. He's a great <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> I actually do follow you on YouTube. Um, Appreciate all, jo- it. all joking. Your Instagram is more fun though. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, all joking aside, uh, I follow, it's funny, man, as I get older, I follow a lot of what's going on in just the social um, society, if you will. So mm-hmm. I follow a lot of news and stuff in politics, which don't, don't fill your brain up with that. Nope. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just, it makes you an angry person. Um, yep. I'm just kidding. But I follow all the financial YouTubers, you know, Graham Stephan is great. Mm-hmm. Ryan Scribner is great. Mm-hmm. Um, all those, you know, big players that are on YouTube that, you know, I have relationships with just Breet Singh from Minority Mindset. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if your audience is a little bit more entrepreneurial, want to understand how to, um, you know, get $200 and not buy a pair of Jordans or get $200 and turn it into $2,000. I highly recommend that you guys follow Minority Mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great media company where they're just taking uh, entrepreneurs and talking about how to just become a little bit different um, than the majority out there. Mm. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, one thing that I'm really interested in is one of the things that I do in my business, and I don't know if this will be super relevant for you or not, but I'll be excited to hear what you say regardless, is I will send video direct messages to like five to 10 random Instagram followers every day. Like I'll just look at the new people that are following me. I'll pick like five of them. I'll be like, Hey, uh, John, what's up? Uh, my name's Apple. Thanks for the follow. Here's what I do. If there's anything that I can do to help you, um, let me know. Have a wonderful day. And I'll just like do that to like five or 10 random people. And that's not scalable. Like I could just record a single message, not have their name in it and just send it to like a million people. But that's not what I want to do. That's not that like the most impactful thing. So, and that's not scalable. Like I can't, like I can't mass produce that good, but it wouldn't be as impactful. So is there yeah. anything that comes to mind for you in your business or just anything that you do 
that you feel like is, is not super scalable or that has that personal like Marco touch to it? So I think networking with like-minded individuals. So I know this is cliche, but you are the average of the five people that you hang out mm. with the most. Uh, everyone knows that. Um, however, they always go back to their buddy from their local town and hit the bar <laughs> and you know ruin their whole next day, right? <laughs> yeah. After drinking too much. But uh, to answer your question, I, I enjoy networking. Networking, you guys, that is the springboard to success because it's not about what you know, it's about who you know, mm. okay? Um, that's whether you're looking for a new job, starting a new career, going into a new field, um, starting a YouTube channel, um, leveraging other people and collaborating with other like-minded individuals who are successful um, will springboard your success and will springboard your path to success rather than just kind of being you know, the hermit that's you know, <laughs> doing it on their own in their, in their basement that doesn't talk to anyone, right? Um, so networking is key, you guys. Uh, humans are a social creature. We like talking to each other. Um, but just hang around with successful people and you will be successful. Mm. And just like putting yourself out there like you do on your YouTube channel and creating content is a great way to draw in like-minded people who, who are interested in the same things that you're interested in because you're, you're putting yourself out there. You're showing people, this is who I am. This is what I care about. And if you vibe with that, then like reach out to me and hit me up and we can work together. And Absolutely. It's, it's just so important to put yourself out there because nobody's going to come to you if you're not telling people what you care about. If you're not providing value, nobody's going to want to work with you. So, so I've got to assume that that's been a pretty impactful way for you to build that network is just by showing people like, this is who I am. This is what I do. That's right. And I think uh, for the younger listeners out there, um, whether they're starting a business or whether they want to get into a certain field or a career or a job or whatever, mm -hmm. um, get your elevator pitch down. Because yeah. sometimes I find myself, you know, rambling because I just like to, you know, yeah. I like to go off the cuff sometimes, but get your elevator pitch down. Um, so if you guys don't know what an elevator pitch is, you should be able to describe it or sell or um, tell someone who you are by the time you get on and get off an elevator, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you don't want to ramble and say, Hey, my name is Marco. I do YouTube and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Don't pay attention to that. You want to say, Hey, my name is Marco. I started uh, whiteboard finance. We focus on stocks, real estate, personal finance, you know, come join and subscribe, right? Oh, great. Cool. You know, people yeah. have very short attention spans. So yeah, get your elevator pitch down. Mm, that's a, that's a pro tip right there with Marco. So we gotta, <laughs> gotta keep that, keep that in the back of your head, guys, work on, work on that and just get yourself something like 10, 15 seconds where you can just like, boom, right off the bat, tell somebody exactly who you are, what you care about, what you do, because nobody, nobody wants to listen to you for that long. And like, exactly. if you don't hook somebody right away, then you've lost their attention forever. So exactly. you've got to make sure that you get that from the get. So Marco, last thing I'm going to ask you is where can people go if they want to find out more about you, whiteboard finance and just what you're up to? Yep. So my 100% laser focus right now is growing my YouTube channel. Um, so I'm not going to send you to 20 different sites or an Instagram <laughs> account. Instagram, however, is whiteboard finance. YouTube, just type in whiteboard, like one word, uh, space finance, and you'll find me. All right, perfect. And I'll be sure to link up both of those in the show notes as well. Marco, you've been dropping value bomb after value bomb on our listeners here today on Young Smart Money. Do you have any last words of wisdom to share with an audience of young people who are looking to get their feet wet in investing? Absolutely. Start today. Um, start little. Understand what you're getting into and don't invest just because you heard in the in the rec center locker room that this next stock <laughs> is going to blow up. You got to do your own research, guys. Use your own brain. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Marco, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you choosing it to spend it here with our listeners today. Um, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Apple. 
All right, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Young Smart Money. Again, if you guys did enjoy the show, do remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us get in front of more people with the show. It helps you hear from even more amazing guests. It just makes the world go round when you do smash that five-star in iTunes iTunes. And if you guys want me to shout you out in my Instagram story, I am always up for that. So if you send a screenshot of your review to Apple Crater Official on Instagram, shoot me a DM of that or just tag me in it. Would love to repost it on my short story and give y'all a shout out there. Otherwise, I hope you guys do have a wonderful day, whether you're out walking the dog, whether you are at the gym, whatever you are up to on this fine day. I hope it is a splendid one and I will see you in the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Real quick, just launched a new project called the Online Course Examiner, basically the Yelp of online courses. It is blowing up lately, onlinecourseexaminer.com. Check it out.